You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. To grab them by the pod for this special Thanksgiving edition. I am Kevin, along with Jesse, and sadly, we've gotten more negative things coming out of Washington. You know, I'd like to say that they didn't happen, but that's what gives us a show. So, Jesse, what's going on this week? Well, my, my plan is really just to go into a food coma tomorrow night so I can just at least for a few hours uh, put it out of my mind. Uh, I don't know how long that'll actually last. Uh, turkey and alcohol, though, it's a winning combination every year, it seems. Well, you know, I guess we should probably look at the positive things we have in our life. And, you know, I'll take this as a positive and I'll be thankful that we have a president that gives us so much fodder to talk about from week to week. Really? And, you know, it is it, – it, I, I was talking to someone just the other day that it's really the circle of life. That This year in my family, we lost a lot of old people, but we also gained a lot of young, you know, new babies. So man, Mufasa was right. you got to look at it that way. For all the negative stuff that happens, there's some positive stuff hopefully that equals it all out. Um, well, so what, what are your plans for uh, Thanksgiving this year? Anything fun? Well, uh, my wife and I and the kids, we host both sides of the family. So we, we jam, you know, 20-plus people into our, our modest home and – uh, celebrate together, and it's nice that we get to come together as a family and and eat delicious uh, holiday food. And you know, it's always a nice time for for what all it is. I mean, you've been waiting 364 days to get your turkey, am I right? It's the one day a year I'll eat a turkey dinner, so uh, <laughs> we don't want to spoil it any other time of year. So yes, Thanksgiving Day is a, is a big deal in my house. Yeah, it's absolutely my favorite holiday. I'm going to my cousin's house, uh, you know, again, just watch football, hang around, have a couple of drinks, have some turkey, uh, and call it a day. It's always a winning combination, as I said earlier. But, uh, you know, enough about... Thanksgiving. Let's talk about some of the crazy stuff that's happening in this world. Uh, last week, three UCLA pl- uh, basketball players, uh, Leangelo Ball, uh, Cody Riley, and Jaden Hill, were detained in Shanghai because um, you know, one of them stole. What's with these big time basketball players? They need to, they need to steal uh, sunglasses for some reason, especially when they come from Louis Vuitton. Uh, in China, uh, that's a no no. Shoplifting is a big deal. You can get apparently five to ten years. Uh, I don't know if our listeners are into basketball at all, but uh, Leangelo's brother of Lonzo Ball. He's on the Los Angeles Lakers. His father, Lavar, is this big loudmouth. He's a, he's a buffoon. And that's what makes it so difficult for me because it's really just two buffoons yelling at each other. Um, yeah, I really can't stand <laughs> either of these guys. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of pay-per-view events, but I might actually pay to watch a celebrity boxing match between Lavar Ball and Donald Trump. I feel it would be a lot of like big swings that are never meant to hit because, you know, it, it's easier to posture than actually do something. Um, so the problem arose when uh, Trump and President Xi of China uh, worked to have the players released and sent back to America. So that's that's good on Trump, whatever part he played in that. Uh, and during a news conference later that day, the three basketball players actually admitted to shoplifting and thanked President Trump for his help. But that's not enough for him because he always needs more, more, more. Uh, he was pissed that the father, LeVar, did not thank him personally. And he tweeted out that uh, now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, LeVar Ball, the father of Leangelo, is unaccepting of what I did for his son, and that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail. So that's the definition in my book of petty, that you only do something good because you want to be thanked for it. Uh, Trump thinks he should have left these guys in jail just because, you know, he wasn't giving enough praise. That's the president of the United States thing. Eh, you know, maybe I shouldn't help Americans if I don't get enough thanks for it. That's that's nuts. Well, you know, big ego, small hands. <laughs> uh, you know, Trump made all this fuss 
that they didn't do enough to thank him, that he needs more like adulation and praise. But perhaps what does he want? Does he want a staged filmed apology, you know, like that of the late Otto Warmbier in to the North Korean government for stealing a poster in a hotel? You know, it's time and time again, he exhibits behaviors that are reminiscent of dictatorships and, and these other countries that we are uh, vehemently against. So he can't have it both ways. If he wants to be the leader of the free world, the de democracy, the beacon of de democratic government that we are, he can't behave this way. When I was a kid and I did something nice and then I kind of had to talk about it and point it out to my parents, you know, that ruins that ruins it. You know, you shouldn't have to point out that you do a nice thing. You do it because it's a nice thing to do. Or in this case, President Trump would do it because it's his job to protect the United uh, States citizens. Uh, so then on Monday, LeVar Ball uh, gave an, an, again, an insane interview like he always does. He babbles on pushing his big baller brand uh, clothing line. Um, but I actually agree with a certain part of his message where he says, you know, I don't have to thank anybody. You know, you, you you did what you did. I don't have to thank you for it. And, you know, I guess it would be easier if you just had said thank you. But, yeah, you're not required to do it. It's not like in the law. That's what they do in North Korea. Like you said, you, have, you force you to say thank you. Right. And But are we surprised? No, no. I, I have to say I was surprised. And we say this pretty much every episode. We can't believe that we're still surprised in the stuff, even though we are. Uh, I woke up this morning and I saw a bunch of tweets from Trump again, um, this time again at LeVar Ball. And this time uh, I will connect these together. I see if I can get this all in one breath. Um, it wasn't the White House. It was the State. It wasn't the State Department. It wasn't Father LeVal, so-called people on the ground in China that got his son out of a long-term prison sentence. It was me. Too bad. LeVar is just a poor man's version of Don King, but without the hair. Just think, LeVar, you could have spent the next five to ten years during Thanksgiving with your son in China, but no NBA contract to support you. But remember, LeVar, shoplifting is not a little thing. It's a really big deal, especially in China. Ungrateful fool. So now within these Twitter comments, you know, there's been the argument of whether or not this is coded racism embedded. Uh, you know, he makes reference to poor man's Don King without the hair and, you know, ungrateful fool. You know, again, it's a, a wealthy white male in a position of power expecting, uh, you know, capitulation or uh, reverence from three young African-American males. It's so that argument is there again. And according to CNN's Chris Caliza, Trump has crossed the line even for him on this, that he operates on a personality based on grievance and victimhood. You know, he's always been on the outside looking in. He's he's never reached in his own mind, you know, the the status that he believes he deserves, that he's entitled to. And so any slight or perceived slight in his mind sets him off. You know, you really should go and watch the season finale from about a week and a half ago of uh, John Oliver's show on HBO because they dug up a bunch of old videos of Donald Trump where he – first of all, he was a normal complexion. His hair looked normal. Um, he was more soft-spoken. He would say things like love is more important than money, that that the people in you know the, in need, the lower class, need need to be helped out. Like things that seem like a very – Things I would I would praise I would I would support in a president and you just wonder what the hell happened in the last twenty years or so to make that guy become the guy we have in the White House today. Well, I can tell you what I think just made him that guy. It's he's become a caricature of himself. You know, being on television, uh, The Apprentice, and, and being this reality TV star, as we see with many reality television show personalities that they become kind of so full of themselves with the fame and the notoriety that 
they almost can't uh, let down their guard. They always have to be this character that we're used to seeing in the media. And now, unfortunately, we have, have this this character who's transitioned over to the world of politics. But politics is very real. And it, we can't really afford to have him be the character that he is. And yet that's what we're getting. Yeah, you know, words have meaning, uh, especially when you're the president of the free world. Uh, this time he's calling LeVar Ball a fool, an ungrateful fool. Uh, in the future, it could be Kim Jong-un. It could be Putin. It could be well, it won't be Putin because he loves Putin. But it could be somebody that uh, doesn't take kindly to that and has the means to do something about it. So uh, someone has to rein him in. Uh, I know we've been saying that again for a long, long time, but – like, would you ever think you, you'd see an American president calling one of his citizens a fool? I mean, we've saw, we've seen people say horrible things about uh, Barack Obama, about George W. Bush, about Bill Clinton, but I've never heard any of them take it personally and, and single out a person and attack them like that. It's it's just maddening. Oh, one of the characteristics we look for in our political leaders is that they can remain cool under pressure, uh, that they are measured in their response, even if they are feeling this way on the inside. And I don't doubt that President Obama did or any other president before him. But their response, their publicly public response is measured and they can't take it personally because if they did, they would never sleep. Uh, you know, these threats and these uh, feelings are, are coming at them all the time. But as a political leader, you've got to be able to let that go uh, and for what is good for the country. And do we have to watch out and see if he actually makes good on these promises that he doesn't help out an American citizen because he's mad at them or because of their political leanings or because of things they've said? Is this just him posturing or do you think this is something that he could actually follow through with? I don't know because I don't know how to read Donald Trump. Yeah, he is so much posture and so much bluster, and every once in a while he follows through on something, but he usually tries to slip that in when no one's paying attention. Um, I don't know what to make of him, uh, and so I, I can't take him serious, but at the same time, I, I don't uh, take it for granted either. No, as with so many things with Donald Trump, we're going to have to wait and see, uh, which is just wonderful. Uh, back to tax reform, though. Uh, last week, the House passed legislation to overhaul the tax code. This has been going on for a while. We've talked about it in past episodes. Uh, it was approved in the House uh, pretty easily, uh, 227 to 205. 13 Republicans opposed it, um, but there really wasn't much drama surrounding this one that there has been uh, in past bills or in past health care uh, uh, bills. Uh, it was only introduced two weeks ago, though, and when you see something you know, this important – I know they want to ram it through by Christmas if they can, but shouldn't they be giving more than two weeks uh, when you're overhauling uh, something as major as the tax code? You would hope. And, you know, I've just spent the last week and a half or so teaching my 10th grade civics students about the process of bills becoming law. And one of the arguments or one of the discussion points that has come up quite often is whether or not our process of lawmaking is too slow. And one of the arguments that keeps coming up is that you want it to be slow, you want it to be deliberative, so that you can actually debate what's going to happen if this becomes law, and therefore weed out some things that are imperfect, that would cause more problems, more harm than good. And, and I feel that this is a perfect example of trying too fast to get something passed through for political purposes uh, that we would only have negative effects from in the long run. 
Yeah, and if things move as quickly as some people wanted them to, just imagine all the nonsense that might be passed. It's, it's, there's a lot of stuff. You, really, you said, you know, weed out the bad crap and just focus on what's important. And in the end, while not much may get done, it's the things that do get done that are worth getting done. I, I used a couple of past and present participle things there, but forget that. Um, I, I was looking into I'm what not the, an English teacher. I won't hold you. To <laughs> thank that. you. Um, I was looking into what the uh, Tax Policy Center was saying about this, and they're they're a nonpartisan group. Um, they estimate that the legislation will cost about 1.2 trillion dollars after accounting for economic growth. So I look at that, but so much for the Republicans being the party of fiscal responsibility. Although I guess if you Asks Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. He disagrees with that, but he's also too busy taking pictures with his wife and sheets of money and uh, being compared to a Bond villain. Yeah, so, well, uh, they don't care, though, <laughs> Jess. They, they don't care. The Republicans in power do not care because what they want more than anything else is to pass something, some marquee legislation that the president and Republican leadership of Congress has been pushing for because they see it as if they don't. Right. They couldn't get the Obamacare stuff done. They've had in, you know, publicly in the media, they've been taking heat for not being able to get anything done. This is their show of vitality. We can get this through. So regardless of whether or not it will have negative effects, this is the closest, I think, that they feel they're coming to actually passing law and they'll do it at all costs. Yeah, because if you look at what Trump and his administration tout as their accomplishments, it's usually mostly executive orders, which isn't really an accomplishment because the president can just do it and sign it. It's not like passing legislation or getting uh, something um, bipartisan passed. So yeah, they want to get something that's considered big, whether it be health care, whether it be tax reform, um, whether it be whatever, uh, passed. They can say, look at, look at us. We've done something. Uh, if you look at this bill, uh, it would reduce the number of individual tax rates, uh, cut the corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%, uh, helping out you know, the corporations, uh, and get rid of a lot of the uh, existing tax preferences. Uh, and the Tax Policy Center found the bill would increase gross domestic product by 0.6% in fiscal year 2018 and boost the GDP uh, by 0.3% in 2027. Uh, but I think the most important thing to focus on here, at least to us average Joes, is that uh, we shouldn't be surprised to learn this. But uh, those income groups making between $310,000 and $750,000 will see the largest tax cuts as a share of income. Uh, and this is supposed to be the thing that helps the, the middle class and lower class. And again, it's helping those uh, making lots more than that. Right. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? This is how government, at least in, in our lives that we've seen, this is how it works, you know, looking out for the wealthy. I mean, a lot of these presidents, uh, it's kind of a genius move sometimes if they do it correctly, where like, you know, you and I will get a $200 rebate. We're like, oh, sweet, got $200 back from the government. And we don't realize that a lot of people making a lot more money are saving a hell of a lot more money, but we're being distracted by things like that. I think we have to make sure that um, they, they've talked about this for the past six months or so that uh, they're going to pass tax reform and it's to help the, the middle class and lower middle class uh, help them out. Uh, this is not something for the, uh, for the rich. It's something for the, for the, you know, again, I said the average Joe. And uh, if this bill doesn't do that, we have to hold them accountable for that. And uh, if they say, you know, if they say don't, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain to pay no attention to what the truth is. We can, we have to call them on that and say, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what you tell us. Uh, this is what it's actually going to do. Right. A one-time tax rebate of a few hundred dollars over time does no good for the the low-income or medium-income uh, citizen, right? The Senate's version 
of this bill fully repeals the state and local tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that is something that while they claim to be trying to close a tax loophole because many in well-to-do suburbs of, of larger cities benefit the most and we say, oh, look, it's well-to-do folks that we're going to try to close this loophole. The problem is, is this is a credit that so many average Americans use to help them get by when they uh, do their taxes from year to year and, and get uh, refunds because of rebates like this, the uh, tax deductions. So again, they're trying to sneak it in under the rug while we're not really paying attention under the guise of, well, you might get a, a few hundred dollar rebate. Aren't you, aren't you happy? You're going to get tax rebates back now. In the long run, think about what we're losing. Yeah, we live in Connecticut, uh, so there's yes, the suburbs of New York City, Fairfield County, Connecticut. Uh, but you know, forget about them. It's us in in the other parts. It's it's people in middle America. It's, again, it's the people who supported Donald Trump. Like so many things, uh, when it comes to health care, um, it'll be the same with tax reform. They're going to be the ones that are going to be hit the hardest. They're going to be ones who are frankly screwed. And, and I hope they wake up, and I hope they understand if if this stuff passes, who's to blame, and not just not believe whatever um, Trump may say, and and vote for him again in 2020, or vote for Republicans in 2018. I think um, at this point, everybody in this country really has to educate themselves on these things so they can make the right decisions when uh, they're going to be affected, their livelihoods, their family, their children are going to be hurt. They have to know what's going on. They can't just assume that Fox News or MSNBC or CNN is telling them the truth. They have to find out the information for themselves so they can make the right decision when it comes to uh, time to vote. All right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned our state of Connecticut, Jess, because according to the Tax Policy Center, a state like ours in Connecticut and many states in the Northeast, because of, you know, maybe some of our well-to-do suburbs or what have you, we stand as a state for 30 percent of our residents to take a tax hike as a result of this. That's a third of our state's population that would stand to pay more in taxes as a result. So, for whatever claims they make about it being, you know, a way to, to cut taxes, it's not going to do that for many Americans. And I'm I'm fortunate. I make a relatively good living, uh, and I feel the crunch when it comes to this stuff. So if, if that's a problem for me, again, I can only imagine people who are who are not as fortunate to make a little less money in their chosen profession. Um, it, it, it's going to be tough for people all over the country. So we have to keep our eye on this. It's interesting what's going to happen in the Senate, as you mentioned. You know, they do have their own bill. Um, just like with the ACA repeal, they can only lose two. Uh, last time they lost Collins, uh, Murkowski, and McCain. Um, although today, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Republican from Alaska, said – or this was yesterday, excuse me uh, – that she supports uh, the part of the tax bill that would repeal the ACA's individual mandate. Uh, so if that means it's not going to hold her back, uh, that may be enough. Uh, there are other Republicans who oppose it for more conservative reasons, but I think they'll probably end up coming into line. Um, so it's, it's really going to be interesting to see if it can pass there, if, if they're going to have the same problem they had last time, or they'll get uh, 50 senators. And then once that happens, it's going to go to conference committee because there are two different bills, and it could possibly die there if they can't find uh, middle ground on things they want. So uh, it's far from over. I think Christmas might be pushing it with a deadline, but it's certainly possible, um, depending on how how many late night sessions they want to have, how many times they want to ram things through without debate. Uh, so again, we'll have, to, we'll have to watch this for the rest of uh, 2017 and uh, see uh, what exactly happens. We'll definitely be on the radar, that's for sure. 
I just hope it's not another late night of staying up to like 2.15 in the morning while they were trying to scramble to get the votes. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun watching that when McCain said no, but God, I think I, I fell asleep at my office the next day. So that's what we, it's what, it's what we have to do to bring the news to you, our loyal listeners. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, come on. Uh, there's more on uh, Roy Moore, more on Moore. Um, on Tuesday, Trump basically announced his support for him. Um, you know, he, I guess there are credible allegations against him for sexual misconduct. We all know that. Uh, but Trump, as with many things, as with Putin, he doesn't really say that he believes. If they're true, I believe them. Um, his main point is that he doesn't think we need a liberal person in there. A Democrat is what he said. The heck with <laughs> politics. What about human decency? Yeah. I mean, we saw Jordan Corden say this a couple uh, weeks ago, too, that they would basically put anybody in there that's a Republican, no matter how bad they are, because they want that seat. And I understand you want to keep the power in the Senate. I don't understand there are reasons why you would back uh, somebody you may be don't particularly care for politically. Uh, but when it comes to somebody who – who's been repeatedly uh, uh, being accused of sexual misconduct, maybe you take a pass on that. Maybe you don't support them. I would think. But then again, I have a certain moral standard that I live up to. And for many of our politicians, that's just not the case. Unfortunately, it has been, been the case for a long, or it hasn't been the case uh, for a long, long time. Uh, Trump spent a lot of time slamming Doug Jones, who's a Democrat running, saying he was terrible on crime, the border, and military. Again, it, Say that's all true. Say he's horrible on crime, the border military. Yeah, more tried to date a fourteen-year-old potential criminal, <laughs> but being soft on crime is a problem. Yeah, it, it's horrible. Um, he he plays the court. You know, like last episode, we talked about how you know Putin said he was innocent, so I don't know. I guess I have to believe him. It's the same thing here. You know, Moore says he's innocent, so you know what am I supposed to do? Not believe him? He says it must be true. Yeah, you know, people say a lot of things. Uh, he might even campaign for more, um, but I guess. If Trump's own actions and words during his campaign didn't hurt him, I mean, I guess it won't hurt uh, more or hurt Trump anymore now. I mean, they're both similar. They've both been accused of age-wise, I guess, a little different, but the misconduct is the same. Uh, people seem not to really care during the 2016 election, um, although I guess that's not quite the case um, in – he's lost out some support by Republicans in Alabama, but it's still a pretty tight race. Uh, I, I, they had a poll on Tuesday where Moore was, uh, I think, receiving 47 percent of the vote. Uh, Jones had 45, and there was like 5 or 8 uh, percent that were undecided or were going to do write-ins. Mm -hmm. So it's a statistical dead heat. Uh, but still, the fact that all this stuff is coming out and it's still a dead heat, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him winning. I really wouldn't. Neither would I. And you know – We've been waiting to see how Donald Trump would respond to these allegations against Moore, given his own personal history with the sexual harassment and comments he's made or actions he's done. You know, so I suppose that was to be expected. But this election will define the moral standard for the state of Alabama. If the state of Alabama votes knowingly for Roy Moore, what does this say about the people of that state? Yeah, and, and if they vote him in and then he's immediately kicked out by the Senate, the Senate has the guts to do that, how much money is going to be wasted, uh, not only nationally but also locally in Alabama? It's it's just, again, they could just end up putting Luther Strange in. They could end up putting, as mentioned last week, Jeff Sessions back there. Um, I, I think maybe it's time they give Doug Jones uh, a, ch a choice. I don't think there's anything really 
unappealing about him. I mean, other than the fact that he's a Democrat and some Republicans don't want to vote for that, I think he seems like a relatively benign uh, candidate. So why not give him a chance? Because, again, he's a Democrat in Alabama, which I would say is still relatively conservative, I would imagine. Um, and he'll still probably end up voting with Republicans like 30 to 40 percent of the time. One would expect, given what some other Democrats from more conservative states have done um, in the past. But, yeah, I just to watch this and to think of what we are willing to accept. And as we're going to talk about shortly, you know, how this is becoming a, a troubling trend across many of our political and business and leaders of entertainment. Uh, you know, we've got to do something here, especially when it comes to governing. Well, Kevin, lest we be uh, be uh, accused of ignoring uh, what happens on the other side of the aisle, too, uh, the Democrats have had some trouble with this week themselves in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll start with Al Franken. Uh, last week, broadcaster Leanne tweeted and accused Franken of groping her uh, without her consent when she was asleep while they were on a USO tour uh, some years ago. Uh, she also released an image of Franken doing it and claimed that he would try to write a skit uh, where he kisses her and then was belligerent about it. You know, we have we have to get ready. We have to kiss. We have to uh, we have to practice. Uh, practice. Thank you. Practice. Couldn't spit Kissing. it out. Um, which you know, it's a nice move, Alex. So I, I understand um, that's inappropriate. It's that's juvenile behavior. Franken should have known better. Inappropriate, not good. But also, I want to say, if, if you look at the picture, he's not actually touching her. Um, he just kind of makes it look. He's kind of hovering over her, so it makes it. So it's still wrong, obviously. I'm not trying to give him pass on that. But it's much different, I think. Uh, Im implied touching, while not good, is better than actual touching. If that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does make sense, and we, I think, need to be very careful here and, and tread lightly over the subject because, regardless of whether or not he's touching her, this is still something that he's doing without her consent. Which, mm -hmm. and uh, according to Miss Tweeden's accounts of this, she had been very clear that she was not interested in in anything sexual in nature uh, from him, and yet he still went about doing this, especially while she was asleep. Uh, this doesn't speak very. Highly of Franken's moral character, either in the same way that we've talked about some of these other politicians like Roy Moore. Um, while his actions were not as severe, as you're saying, I agree with you. But the point being made here is whether or not what is acceptable uh, as far as women uh, and sexual assault and sexual harassment is concerned. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think. From what we've seen so far, again, more stuff comes out every day with different celebrities, so you never know what's going to be next. Um, but I wanted to just briefly paraphrase what uh, Bill Maher had said on Friday. And again, I wasn't always a fan of Bill Maher, but I do agree with him on this one, uh, that he thinks – um, yes, he, he he went after Al Franken, even though he was his friend, and criticized him for what he did. But he also said there's a difference between you know, being a jerk and – and acting like a jerk. There's a difference between behaving like a high schooler and targeting a high schooler, and then, you know, as a veiled uh, thing towards more, in that, uh, you know, from what we've seen or heard about Al Franken, it was him acting like a moron, acting inappropriate, and that's wrong, but not necessarily a serial groper or a serial, you know, I, I can, and, if, and if it comes out he is, I'll be the first person to, you know, call him a scumbag. Um, well, there, there is a second accuser now. Yes, but it ends claims that he groped her by placing his hand on her buttocks while they were taking a photo together at the Minnesota State Fair back in 2010, which is after Franken had been elected to the Senate. 
And it's also interesting, though, that uh, I think a letter of, like, was it 21 or 41? Some of that uh, former um, SNL staffer, women staffers, came out in support of him. Ariana Huffington, uh, I guess someone was trying to say that he was touching her, and she said he wasn't supportive. So it, it's very odd. And, and here's where we come to a problem, Kevin. And, you know, we can, we can tread very lightly here um, because it's, it's a very sensitive subject. Um these cases, and we see it in Hollywood too, and I'm sure it'll be uh, popping up in the sports world, is that one you want to believe, you always want to give the, the the person accusing you want you want to believe them so they're not afraid to speak out, but you also want to give people the benefit of the doubt in you know innocent to proving guilty, and that's really the problem I think you see here is that accusations shouldn't immediately condemn somebody, but then they also shouldn't be brushed off either, and it's finding. That medium area. I mean, it's so easy to be be vilified and and convicted in public the court of public opinion, um, but also you don't want to defend these guys and then look like you're not giving potential victims, um, you know, their fair share. So it's it's so tough, and it kind of scares me to even talk about it because I think we're going to piss off somebody no matter what we say. Well, I think you're absolutely right that we need to give people their day in court. These are constitutionally protected rights that we as citizens of this country have. So. I agree in the sense that people should not be fired, people should not uh, lose their livelihoods simply because of an accusation. I think that it requires the in-depth research of what happened, uh, testimony from both sides, court case proceedings, and the legal determination of guilt. If that person is proven guilty, then throw the book at them. Yeah. But the accusations alone should not warrant, you know, losing everything. Well, it's interesting that Lena Dunham, you know, I'm not a fan of Lena Dunham. I find her relatively obnoxious. But um, she tweeted out, I don't know, previously before all this stuff started, that um, things women lie about, what they had for lunch, things women don't lie about, that they were raped. And then someone from the girls' writing staff was accused of sexual uh, misconduct, and she supported him, which then got her a lot of backlash because she's being hypocritical. Um, and I understand, you know what, if if someone close to me was accused of this, I would defend them probably no matter what either because they were close to me. I, I can understand that. That's why I think it's important that sometimes we speak in generalities and, and have to realize that uh, things should be focused on on a case-by-case basis. It's great that a lot of these scumbags like Harvey Weinstein are being finally called out and, and being stopped from doing this stuff, um, but I think we, we just have to be very careful uh, with the entire process. And again, uh, I hope I'm not upsetting anybody who's listening to this because um, you know people who have, who have been – whether it's raped or whether um, harassed or whatever, uh, they deserve to feel safe and deserve to be able, deserve to be able to tell their story. Um, I just don't want to, uh, you know, get in trouble either way. I, I, I don't know. I'm very scared of this topic. We should probably move on. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, we cannot move on because we have John Conyers to talk yes, about. Yes, uh, John Conyers, who, by the way, is the longest serving uh, House member currently. Uh, he's a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, he might be in trouble too. Uh, BuzzFeed earlier this week ran an article claiming that Conyers settled a wrongful dismissal complaint a couple of years ago uh, when a former staffer alleged that she was fired because she wouldn't give in to his sexual advances. Um, former staff members also alleged that Conyers repeatedly made sexual advances to female staff, uh, touched them inappropriately, used congressional resources to fly women um, with whom he was suspected of having affairs with, um, and complained that a female staffer was too old and wanted to get rid of her. Uh, currently, just like with uh, Franken, there's an ethics investigation. Well, uh, according to John Bresnahan and Heather Gale at Politico, Conyers paid a severance package out of his member representation allowance, which mm. is the money that representatives are given to hire staff and carry out their official duties. 
And now the House Administration Committee has come under fire for approving these somewhat secretive payments uh, as part of the the allegations against him. Let me speak about, from my experience on Capitol Hill, I, I worked there for about two years, um, but I worked Capitol Hill adjacent for about a decade or so, spent a lot of time up there, um, was able to see some of these guys in action. And from my experience, it's another case of these guys needing needing to retire. Congress is like a million years old. He's like 88. I mean, it's that's too old to be in Congress. And this is something to me that, from what I've seen, transcends party lines. It's these old guys who have been in power for a long time think they can act like creepy guys because, you know, as they did back in the 60s, you, know, you watch Mad Men, and, and yeah, they're, you know, they're slapping the receptions on the butt and stuff, and it's all cool back then. Um, he's been in Congress since 1964. It's time to move on. We see this with George Herbert Walker Bush apparently you know, grabbing girls' butts. Um, I, I think it's just these old people think they get away with this stuff. If they can't, it's time to move on, guys. Well, and this is the time for change. Like any revolutionary idea, change eventually comes along because the populace grows tired of something. You know, they reach their limit. Apparently, it's been okay for these congressmen to do this all these years from the 60s on because they've yeah. never been called on it. Now we've reached our limit. We're at a point in our society where we don't find sexual harassment or assault acceptable anymore. And so now we're finally calling these guys on it. And, you know, I guess they're probably trying to play the, well, uh, you know, I'm old. I've been doing this forever card, but it's it's time to move on. As you said, it's time for some of these guys to resign, retire, and move on with their golden years. Yeah, people want to say that your country's done a lot of great stuff. Okay. I like Happy Gilmore. I like I like Billy Madison. These are Adam Sandler's movies I like. Doesn't mean I have to give him a pass when he puts out stupid movies like Jack and Jill these days, you know? I can appreciate what you've done in the past. And it doesn't mean I can't call you on the crap you're doing today. Um, and that's... Honestly, the biggest contributor to the downfall of great men is sticking around too long, whether it's politicians, whether it's actors, whether it's musicians. Sometimes it's reading the the, the, the writing on the wall and getting out. Um, and I don't think Connor should be given a pass for his age, for what he's done in the past. I mean, if he's doing this and, and it's true – Get his butt out of there. I mean, um, it, it it seems it's been going on for a long time and that he is what you would call a serial misconductor, if that's the correct term. You know, there is something to be said for going out while you're on top, while you're still young and in your prime. You know, you look at some examples from the sports world like Jim Brown or Barry Sanders, yeah. who retired far earlier than anyone would have expected them to. But they retired when their numbers were still at the top of their game. And, you know, they moved on to other aspects of their life. You didn't see diminishing returns as they got older and became more injury prone and were not able to compete the same way they had done uh, in years past. So there is something to be said for that. And there's something even more importantly to be said for the, the people who are, are willing to make that decision to retire while they're still capable so that they don't diminish their returns. You got to learn how to evolve with the times. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things when we were children that was acceptable that's not acceptable today, and, and we've grown with that, and we've learned that you know there are certain things we can't say, or certain things are offensive, certain things are wrong, and it's the people who refuse to acknowledge that are the people that cause the problems in the people who we see things like this happen to. So, uh, John Conyers, uh, if, if this stuff is true, uh, just step down. You're you're 88. Try to try to enjoy some of your golden years. I guess. I don't know. So, so, Kevin, what do you have for Kevin's quarter this week? Well, Jesse, perhaps one of the most important and desirable qualities in an elected representative is that of a high moral standard. 
And when we elect people to represent us across all levels of Republican democracy, we do so with the intention and expectation that elected officials will perform up to the ethical standard their position demands. Now, this expectation knows no party affiliation, conservative, liberal, or anything in between is not above the expectation of exhibiting moral and ethical standards. It is only fair that we equally criticize members of Congress and those attempting to be on both sides of the aisle for their poor judgment and loose morals. It is even more important to criticize a commander in chief for publicly expressing his desire to have a suspected child predator in office rather than someone of an opposing party. As I have stated before and will say again, it is high time for our leaders to put country before our party and people before politics and to hold their own egos in check for what is right. That is their moral obligation to America. Very nice, Kevin. Very nice as always. Well, before we send you guys along to celebrate Thanksgiving and hopefully a long weekend, I'll just point out that while I may have lost my election for town council, I was appointed yesterday to the town planning and zoning committee. Um, so apparently there are courses I'm going to have to take at UConn, I was told, to learn more about planning and zoning. I don't know if I signed up for that. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. No. But, uh, Congratulations on that, th- by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, I, I had to figure out something I could do to serve this wonderful town. And, uh, you know, campaign for 2019 starts today. Well, until uh, next time, enjoy your turkey, enjoy your mashed potatoes, your gravy, all the stuffing, whatever you have, uh, the football, and uh, we'll see you next week. Have, uh, Have a great Thanksgiving. You too, Jess. Later.